0: California's San Joaquin Valley is nestled between the hills of the coastal mountains and the towering Sierra Nevadas. Driving around, there are white blossoms covering trees growing in evenly spaced rows for miles and miles. Those are almond trees, a major crop here in the valley. But the thirsty crop has an uncertain future. About 500,000 acres of San Joaquin Valley farmland will need to be put out of production by 2040 to meet state water requirements. That's according to the Public Policy Institute of California. A water shortage paired with the economics of farming have made some farmers swap out their fields of crops for fields of solar panels. But could expanding solar on farmland make it harder or more expensive to feed America? Are there ways to have farming and solar on the same land? We're in Fresno as part of our Remaking America project, looking at the issues that divide us and how we might not actually be that far apart. It's a partnership with six public radio stations, including KVPR in Fresno. After the break, we kick things off with a feature from 1A's June Leffler. She visited farmers with solar fields in the San Joaquin Valley. Later, we take an even closer look at the pros and cons of expanding solar power on farmlands. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We've got a lot to get into. Stay with us. To start the conversation, 1A's June Leffler gives us a closer look at solar fields in the San Joaquin Valley. June spoke to farmers who operate those fields. Here's June. June.
1: The San Joaquin Valley is an agricultural hub. There, two-lane highways separate fields of citrus and nut trees across central California. Tom Barcelos is a dairy farmer. He owns 1,800 cows. The milk they produce winds up in Lando Lake products and grocery stores all along the West Coast.
2: Our livelihood is based on how we care for the soil and how we care for our animals. Uh, and if we don't care for them, then we don't, we're not going to be successful.
1: One key to success is to diversify. Barcelos also harvests lemons, pistachios, and solar power. <laughs> Fenced in is Barcelos's solar field. Of his almost 2,000 acres of land, a modest five-acre plot is dedicated to solar. I mean, I've done a lot of
2: things first that people thought I was crazy for. I'm willing to try something on a small scale, to find out if it's going to work for us or not.
1: For Barcelos, it made financial sense. He doesn't profit off the panels, but they do lower his energy bills, which aren't cheap.
2: Now, the dairies are relatively consistent. You milk twice a day, they use the same power morning and night and shifts. Our wells are used only during crop cycle. So our bills can get pretty substantial in the summertime when we're irrigating crops.
1: Luckily, sunny California gets enough rays in the winter so that Barcelos can offset those higher summertime costs. It doesn't hurt that Barcelos bought his panels 10 years ago and they're about to be paid off. Not far from the Barcelos farm is Tulare, California, home to the World Ag Expo. It looks like a state fair, but all about the business of agriculture, including the latest energy-efficient technology. Solar certainly takes some of the spotlight.
3: Solar is all about saving money.
1: That's Ron Christensen with Renewable Solar based in Hanford, California. He's been showing up at the World Ag Expo for years now.
3: So a megawatt will save a farmer about $325,000 a year. So over 30 years, it's almost $10 million. And a megawatt of solar takes up about four and a quarter acres. That's a pretty good risk return.
1: Christensen's job is to convince farmers of the positive cost-benefit analysis, especially since these panels will take up some precious farmland.
3: Most farmers are diversified, so they may have dairy, but they're growing a number of different things. They're growing corn, they're growing wheat, they're growing things that feed their livestock. So taking farm ground out of production for something is a big deal.
1: Every farmer I talked to was interested in solar or already had it like nut and avocado farmer Bob Backward, But he offered this hesitation.
3: I don't like to see them cover farm ground up with 20 acres of solar when they can put them on hills and mountains. People are going to run out of food one of these days.
1: While some farmers have installed solar just to offset personal costs, others are taking solar to another scale by leasing tens to hundreds of acres of their land to solar project developers. These farmers can actually make a profit and might stop growing crops altogether. Becky and Jim Kuntz have gone that route.
4: Those panels turn with the sun, so in the, in the morning, those panels are facing the east, and they follow the sun across to sunset.
1: Becky's family got on the solar bandwagon early when developers in the 1980s approached her father. Becky calls them modern-day prospectors. Solar fields now cover about 200 acres of the Koontz's 500 acres of farmland. But they aren't growing crops on the rest of it. Becky says it doesn't make business sense to continue farming. The price of wheat hasn't varied that much since 1940. And yet the price of the equipment, the price of the water, the price of the groceries you feed your family has all gone up, up up some crops are just more profitable and that changes all the time right now pistachios and almonds bring in billions for california farmers but they require a lot of water something that is in short supply in california
4: while we have a well we don't have enough of a well to irrigate uh, a tree crop they just don't have the water under there to pull up,
1: water rights fights are heating up in California at the same time that the state is moving forward on aggressive climate policies, such as quadrupling solar and wind production by 2045. Jim says leasing his land out for solar has been a blessing. The checks that come in have helped them retire, pay insurance and taxes, and keep the land in the family.
2: So you can't speak for your kids, um, you can leave it there as a legacy. But in the end, they'll decide what they want to do with it, and and that's up to them.
1: Jim and Becky's kids don't farm, and Jim thinks they never will. If solar stays profitable, then they won't need to. For 1A, I'm June Leffler in Fresno, California.
0: Joining us from Los Angeles is Sammy Roth. He covers energy for the Los Angeles Times. He recently helped produce the LA Times series Repowering the West about how the energy transition is affecting landscapes and communities across the western U.S. Sammy, welcome to the program.
4: Hey, happy to be here.
0: Also with us is Kara Heckert in Sonoma County, California. She's the Resilient Agriculture West advisor for the American Farmland Trust. AFT advocates to protect farmers and farmlands. Kara, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Kara, first, how popular is solar among California farmers for both personal use or through leasing their land to developers?
5: Well, it's really on the rise. Um, just like the interviews that you had, there's a lot of folks interested in it, but they're balancing a lot of different challenges on agricultural land throughout California. So it's a trade-off. So while there are many people interested, it's a, a decision on whether or not they want to continue to to farm all the challenges they have from water resources and other things. And so although it's on the rise, um, it's still a value proposition that's being
0: balanced. Sammy, you've also spoken with farmers in California. What stood out to you from those conversations around how farmers are considering whether to make the switch in part or in total to solar?
4: well, i would I would say that water is definitely a very big part of it. I mean, they, you know, a lot of farmers in especially in the San Joaquin Valley can see these uh, new groundwater regulations coming in that are going to you know require over the long term less uh, less groundwater to be pumped out from the aquifers underground. So they're, they're looking at that and sort of seeing solar as, as a hedge against that. Um, so you definitely have farmers who are you know, not just all one way or all the other, who are keeping plenty of land in production, but also taking some land out of production and, and using that as sort of a, a, a diversified revenue stream to have another way to go about it. I um, have also talked with plenty of folks who think that this is you know dangerous for agricultural communities and would prefer not to see their neighbors going that route. That's a, a pretty common opinion I've heard as well.
0: According to one estimate from home care website, Angie, building a solar farm costs up to $500,000 per acre. Kara, what are some of the financial restraints to using solar on this land?
5: Well, there's a lot of things that people have to consider. I mean, there's some there's transmission uh, limitations and investing in that or getting your local government to invest in that. There's also, um, you know, when you're taking land out of production, you have to keep that loss of income in mind, also the things you have to do to put the infrastructure in place. And although there are some there is some government assistance for that, it's not at the level that it needs to be to scale up solar at the way the state would like to.
0: Now Sammy, what were the major policy
4: barriers to farmers making this switch? Major policy barriers. Well, I mean, I I don't think there's that much stopping them in terms of a policy perspective, at least at the state level. I mean, California has these really stringent goals, 100% clean energy by 2045, uh, you know, 90% even sooner than that. Um, So, you know, farmers are typically, you know, free to use their land as they will. I I mean, I think from a, a local perspective, you definitely have local government officials and local elected officials who are at times skeptical about this and and aren't always going to be thrilled about approving these projects. But uh, so far, I haven't seen that as a really big barrier. A lot of, you know, really significant scale solar projects are moving forward in California farmland. Now, Sammy, some farms are
0: leasing their land to large-scale solar
4: developers. Walk us through the process of how that works. Sure. I mean typically a, you know, a developer will come in and will either sign a lease agreement with the farmer or just agree to buy the land outright. So, you know, it depends on what the farmer would prefer in terms of the income stream. Either they they get sort of an annual lease payment, uh, you know, for the operation of the, you know, the life of this facility, which could be, you know, 25 or 30 or even more years, or the developer can uh, can agree to pay them upfront and you know once the solar farm starts construction those those deals typically close and the farmer sort of walks away with a, an upfront lump sum payment
0: and financially how well does that leasing setup work for farmers
4: well i mean it's it's definitely going to depend on the specifics of of the place and of the solar deal but the the folks that i've talked to who have gone this route have typically told me that it's it's comparable, um, you know, to the income that they'd be making farming, that the financials work out about the same. And, you know, for a lot of them it's sort of turned, becomes sort of a lifestyle choice. I mean, if you have uh, folks who are getting older and don't have kids to take over the farm, uh, that's, you know, was the case in a couple of the projects that I looked at, they, they may be more likely to go that route or if they, you know, or if they know they have really significant water problems and farming is going to get harder, but it, uh, you know, I, I've heard that it's about the same in a lot of cases.
0: Well, Kara, that's something we heard in June Leffler's uh, feature earlier in the hour, farmers concerned about their ability to pass on this land to their children. How much is that driving the decision about whether to stay in farming crops or to move on to farming solar?
5: I think that's a huge factor. Um, the average age of the farmer in California is 59 years old and a lot of the next generation is not getting into farming because it's too challenging. So I think diversifying uh, funding streams for their farmer ranch is critical in the decision making that they're doing for their, keeping their, their farm operation viable for future generations.
0: Well, Sammy, when farmers set up solar panels on their own or go through a leasing company, where does that
4: energy go? Well, I mean, it goes to whichever whoever agrees to buy it. I mean, typically it's a large electric utility or a, a city government um you know serving you know whether it's Los Angeles or the Bay Area or Phoenix or las Vegas. i mean, when when this is happening in the you know in the western United States, with this at this scale, with these you know thousands of acres of solar panels getting built, typically it's going to serve a large population center. That speaks to what Kara said earlier about the need for transmission lines to get that electricity from one place to another. But you know this isn't this isn't typically power that's serving the you know the local agricultural community where it's being built because there's just not the demand for that uh, substantial amount of of electricity there. So it's there's sort of an interesting dynamic at play between the the big cities that are demanding this power and the communities where it's getting built and what are the effects on those communities.
0: Kara, is, is that tension something you hear from the farmers you work with? Oh, very
5: frequently. I think it's it's really important um, with farmers in underserved communities should benefit from solar energy development. And there really needs to be inclusive stakeholder engagement to ensure that pro- projects strengthen farm viability and reflect farmer interests. Um, so there is a, a kind of ongoing you know, conflict about these kinds of projects. And so local community engagement and appropriate planning is really key.
0: Well, let's listen to another farmer. This is California dairy farmer, Tom Barcelos. I absolutely have a friend who
2: leased his land long-term and he's making more money leasing it to a solar company. But is it beneficial in the big picture? Beneficial to him, he's putting the money in his pocket, you know, He's making enough money. He don't care what what groceries cost and what the utilities cost. He's making money. And that particular solar field is generating power for Los Angeles, which is 150 miles away. Do I have an issue with that?
0: Kind of. So we heard there Tom echoing what you were explaining, Cara, about the concerns around where the energy goes. But we also heard Tom talk about the price of groceries. And, and what are some of the big picture concerns around that? Well,
5: I think that, you know, in, in California and really throughout the country, we are uh, really spoiled with how how diversified vegetables and, and fruit are available to us all the time. And I think the general public... Uh, doesn't have um, an idea of how much farmland we're actually losing and that once that land is gone, it's gone forever. We're losing 50,000 acres of farmland a year. Most of that is our most prime uh, farmland that we have that can never be replaced. So I, I echo that concern and why it's so important to uh, do these kinds of projects in the right places and prioritize solar siding on buildings and land that are not well suited for farming first and
0: foremost. Patricia in Kansas emailed, instead of covering the land with solar panels, why doesn't California require every public building and all new construction and eventually private properties to install panels? Uh, Sammy, how is that fitting into this current conversation around California's energy goals?
4: Yeah, I mean this. This is a this is a really important part of this conversation. Where where do you put all of the renewable energy that's needed to stop burning fossil fuels and address the climate crisis? And it's it's controversial anywhere you try to build, whether it's uh, on farmland or out in the desert where there's wildlife habitat. Um, there's there's controversy and challenges surrounding this. So yeah, the question about you know should we put it all on on rooftops and parking lots and warehouses? The more of that you do, yes, probably the less needs to go out on the landscape and you know some of these difficult choices to be made just the the issue is sort of the the scale that's needed I mean the the quantities of solar and wind and other types of renewables that are needed is, is just kind of it's difficult to imagine every study that I've seen looking at this shows that even with a really significant scale up of rooftop solar you still need um, enormous amounts of land to be devoted to this for large solar projects and so it's a question of where can you put those, uh, you know, that that do the least damage and have you know the least negative impacts, while still getting it built fast enough to deal with climate? It's a hard question.
0: Well, and circling back to that economics question, Kara, with climate change impacting the land right now and farming, how lucrative is it to be in agriculture right now? Well,
5: I think agriculture is always a, an uphill battle, and uh, farmers have to be uh, adaptable and innovative and they definitely are in California and beyond. So I think it, it just takes a diverse portfolio of um, economic streams. And I see a lot of examples of that throughout the state. So I, I believe farming can still be done and and done right in the right places.
0: Sammy, how much of the water used for agriculture in California, roughly, if you can give us a, a, an understanding of that, is dependent on water being brought
4: into the area? Well, I mean, there's a lot of it is water within california but it is moved over long distances so i mean the san joaquin valley which is the state's agricultural heartland much of this water is coming down from the sierra nevada from the mountain range and being you you know and from further north in the state as well and being you know transported you know really long distances to get there um the imperial valley as well the other the other big agricultural area that's all colorado river water from hundreds of miles away and yeah, those, those sources are, are drying up long term with climate change. The West is getting drier. It's aridification. You're having longer and more intense droughts. So, yeah, those are those are all things that are making farming, uh, you know, more challenging on top of the, the groundwater regulations that are meant to stop overpumping of aquifers. In September of last year, California
0: Governor Gavin Newsom signed a sweeping package of bills to expand California's use of clean energy and reduce carbon emissions. We're moving in a completely new direction and I couldn't be more proud and excited. Because this is about innovation. This
2: is about entrepreneurialism. This is about pushing out the boundaries of discovery. This is about everything we are. (laughs) This is about the future. And that's why I'm also proud that this legislature, the state of California, just passed 53.9 billion dollars to back up these pieces of legislation put that in perspective 53 billion
0: now to meet california's climate goals solar power capacity needs to quadruple by 2045 sammy how likely is it that california can hit that goal
4: well i mean it's it's certainly trying very very hard it's going to need to build solar plants and solar other forms of solar power at you know multiple times the rate that it uh, it has historically to get this done um, you know, the, the scale up is is happening and it's, it's certainly possible. I mean, the modeling shows this can be done. But, you know, I, I think one of the biggest barriers to this realistically is going to be the land issue of where do you put it and can you overcome, you know, opposition that exists at the local level, again, whether that's because you're building in desert tortoise habitat or you're building in an agricultural community where your neighbors aren't happy about it or you know, just making the economics work to put solar on people's roofs, which is another contentious issue. I I think that's really going to be the big challenge here to whether we can meet this goal or not.
0: Kara, when you talk to the farmers you work with, what do they say would help them make this transition if it's a transition they want to make?
5: Well, I think one of the things that needs to happen is uh, the state needs to fund research and create pilot programs to advance uh, what we call agrivoltaic projects. So agrivoltaics, are agriculture and solar energy coexisting. And and those projects help sustain agricultural production underneath the solar panels and or between rows of solar panels throughout the life of the project. But I think farmers need more information on... Um, how that helps their soil, how that affects their water resources. And so I think um, that's one thing I've heard from farmers. And also just investing in research to assess the kind of socioeconomic effects of solar on farm viability. And so those are are two examples.
0: This April, California moved forward with net energy metering 3.0, which will slash the rebate from rooftop solar panels by 75%. Here's citrus farmer Scott Santanyan.
3: The people who don't have solar currently, it's going to be hard for them to justify buying solar because it's not going to pay off. You know, electric uh, cars and they're trying to get the big rigs and all these new tractors that are coming out. It's very difficult for, um, you know, the grid to support all of that and more solar is needed. So I felt like that thing they passed for April is kind of ridiculous, being especially with what's needed for our future.
0: Now, California environmental groups are against this change. They say it'll discourage people from moving to solar. Sammy, how do you see this change affecting solar uptake?
4: Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's certainly controversial. For a long time, rooftop solar has been. I mean, California has been like the national engine of rooftop solar. More than 1.3 million, you know, rooftop and small-scale systems have been installed on homes and also schools and also some farms across the state. And with these changes to net metering, these incentive payments for the solar that you, you generate, uh, these changes were approved in December and they're taking effect in April. Um, there's probably going to be less rooftop solar installed and less local small-scale solar than otherwise would have been. How, how bad it's going to be is sort of yet to be seen, but you know, if if you think that there should be less solar built out in, you know, wildlife habitat and fewer big, you know, big sprawling solar facilities on farmland and elsewhere, this is sort of going to hurt that cause.
0: Well, some California farmers are deciding whether solar or crops are a better use for their land, but what if they didn't have to choose? Next, we discuss the emerging technology called agrivoltaics that places solar and agriculture on the same land. More from you and our guests in a moment. We've been talking about farmers using land to put up solar, but what if you could combine solar and agriculture? Joining me now to talk about that is Byron Kamenek. He owns Jack's Solar Farm in Boulder County, Colorado. Four acres of his farm produces both crops and solar power. Byron, welcome to
6: the program. Hi, Jen. Happy to be here. Love 1A.
0: Well, thanks. Well, you use
6: agrivoltaics on your farm in Colorado. Just walk us
0: through how that works.
6: Sure. Uh, As you mentioned, we have just over four acres of solar panels on our farm. Uh, We work with the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, Colorado State University, University of Arizona to learn more about microclimates underneath our panels. So for them to be able to get out there underneath our panels to learn more about this, we simply elevated the panels uh, higher up in the air so that folks can access it um, and uh, equipment can get underneath the panels so that we can grow crops and study how they grow.
0: So how has it affected the way you grow your crops?
6: Have you changed anything significantly? Definitely. It it used to be a hay field. So we were just growing grass. Uh, This is my grandfather's farm that I've uh, been uh, managing for the past six years. And hay doesn't pay much of anything out here. So we wanted to switch over to something that could provide us uh, some funding. So we found the idea of having solar on our farm. Um, so that's the, the main income that uh, my family has from our land. And then we work with a nonprofit organization called Sprout City Farms that uh, does the majority of the cultivation of vegetables underneath our solar panels. And what we find is the shade of the solar panels, you know, it, it reduces thermal stresses on crops. It keeps moisture in the ground longer, reduces evaporation rates um, at night, the earth emits heat uh, that is collected during the day and it bounces back off the solar panels, keeping the crops a little bit warmer at night. So if you have a, a soft frost that comes through during the, the fall, it can help protect the crops uh, growing around the solar panels.
0: When you considered making the switch to agrivoltaics, what were the big questions in your mind or, or the things that made you maybe hesitate before you moved forward?
6: Yeah. Um, just the finances around building the solar array. So uh, I, I initially looked out for trying to lease our land to a solar developer, but decided, you know what, there, there was money in figuring out how to own the system. So a lot of it was working with Boulder County to change their land use code so we could build a solar array on our farm, and then uh, figuring out all the financing to to build the system. The I think our main question was, how tall do we need the solar panels to be to be able to Uh, easily access the space but it to me it totally makes sense of of growing crops with a little bit more shade out in colorado where it's hot and dry the best grass i have on property is on the east side of a of an elm tree so it gets afternoon shade and so i also find that a lot of the crops that we grow underneath the solar panels enjoy the afternoon shade too
0: According to home care website Angie, it can cost up to $500,000 per acre to install solar panels. What was your cost to build the agrivoltaic system where you are?
6: Well, They they sound about right based on what we built. Uh, (laughs) It cost us uh, $2 million to develop plus uh, construct the site. And it's a 1.2 megawatt uh, community solar garden.
0: Oh, well, We got this email from Connor who says, I'm a 24-year-old farmer in southern Wisconsin. I took over our family operation in 2020 and converted almost 500 acres of crop ground into rotational grazing. I would love to incorporate solar panels into one or more of my grazing operations. One of the difficulties we have with converting crop ground is that there are no trees for shade. Solar panels would provide shade, and if they are high enough off the ground, will still allow us to graze cattle underneath. Byron, from your experience, Do you have any advice for Connor or any other farmer who's interested in making this change?
6: Oh, I fully agree with Connor on the the shade can help out with cattle. You know, we we actually had uh, a few cows that a friend of mine brought out uh, for a few hours underneath our panels where uh, when our panels are flat, uh, the, the cows were out underneath them and the panels are about eight feet tall when they're flat. Um, and and they did just fine. They kept grazing the grass beneath it. Uh, one of them looked up at the posts and scratched their head on it, but that was no big issue. Um, uh, it it totally makes sense for, for Connor to be able to build it on his land. A a lot of it comes down to the cost of the solar panels. And if he can front the the cost of building the solar array, then there's long-term economic benefits from selling the electricity. But if you can't, um, oftentimes it's going to be finding a solar developer that wants to work with you to uh, do that development, and then they own or sell off the project to someone else. And then hopefully Connor would be able to range his cattle or sheep, goats, pigs, whatever he wants to underneath the panels to enjoy that shade. That's Byron
0: Kamenek of Jack's Solar Garden in Boulder County, Colorado. Byron, thank you so much for speaking with us. Happy to. Well, Kara... How are we seeing agrivoltaics used on California farms, if at all?
5: Um, I have seen a, a few examples, um, especially with uh, sheep under panels. Um, it's still a relatively uh, new innovation, and I would not say it is widespread. And as Sammy just said, it's still on a relatively small scale. So that also goes back to the need for, for research for more pilot projects around agrivoltaics, which some of the... Um, academic institutions are doing and American Farmland Trust has been starting to engage in. But um, it's still on a relatively small scale and kind of sprinkled throughout the state.
0: Well, so far we focused on the farmers who own their land, but owners aren't the only people who work on farmlands. We got this message from one of you.
4: For 14 years, I worked on a dairy farm. The owners decided to sell the cows and go with a a lease for solar development instead. I was put out of work at the age of 55 with the usual health problems that come with doing hard physical labor for 25 years. Um, I was not even eligible for unemployment compensation as a farm worker, and I have been struggling ever since.
0: Thanks for that message. Kara, how could solar expansions impact farm workers?
5: Well, solar energy development can certainly create opportunities for farmers and landowners by generating new sources of income, but it is very true that it also threatens farmer renters who could be displaced, and that will have lasting impacts on local economies, um, local families, uh, depending on agricultural production. So Um, It is a serious consideration, especially as more land consolidates and goes larger scale, and there are more farmer renters out there and more leased land. So it is a factor that we really need to look at as this land transition occurs to solar.
0: Well, Kara, how do you plan to lobby on behalf of both farmers and farmland on this solar debate?
5: Well, I think that, you know, American Farmland Trust has developed smart solar principles. Um, We really feel that California, America needs both renewable energy and productive resilient farms and ranches and um, smart solar can be the solution. So we have a whole set of principles um, to guide policymakers, developers and decision makers, and that includes prioritizing solar on the built environment and land not well suited for farming, safeguarding the ability for land to be used for agriculture So policies and practices should protect soil health and productivity, especially during construction and decommissioning. Um, We're also promoting growing agrivoltaics for agricultural production and solar energy. And it's really important to promote equity and farm viability by requiring an inclusive stakeholder engagement process, including farmers and underserved communities. So we're taking those principles um, to state policymakers and to the farming community. And that is our advocacy platform for smart solar in the nation.
0: Well, and Sammy, briefly, what are you keeping an eye on as the country moves toward renewables?
4: I mean, I think I'm I'm keeping an eye on... Where is this stuff going to get built and are the local obstacles to getting it built going to be so high that uh, that not enough of it is going to get constructed in time? Uh, again, I, I think especially now that the federal government has passed significant climate legislation, the Inflation Reduction Act last year, and you have more and more states following California's lead on 100% renewable energy and similar policies that – the real big question mark here is are we going to find places to put this stuff and are the communities where it's going to you know need to be built going to go along with that that's what i'm watching
0: That's Sammy Roth. He covers energy for the Los Angeles Times and writes the weekly Boiling Point newsletter. He recently helped produce the LA Times series Repowering the West about how the energy transition is affecting landscapes and communities across the western U.S. Also with us, Kara Heckard in Sonoma County, California. She's a resilient agriculture West advisor for the American Farmland Trust. AFT advocates to protect farmers and farmlands. Thanks to you both. A huge thanks to our friends at KVPR in Fresno, California for hosting us during our visit to Fresno. KVPR is one of six stations we've partnered with on our Remaking America collaboration. Remaking America is funded in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Today's producers were June Leffler and Michelle Harvin. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. This is 1A.